0: the pitfalls, the minefield that is waiting for us out in culture is off the charts. There's so many traps, there's so much deception, there's so many uh, tricky things we gotta try and navigate our kids and our family through. Here's the good news, you don't have to do it by your own power. shelter cove online we are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon we hope and pray that this message encourages you that you learn something that you enjoy it but more than that we just pray that god would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today if you would like to respond to this message in any way you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com have an amazing rest of your day uh, hey, my name's Chad. It's great to be here with you all. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Come with me to 1 John chapter 3. We'll have ushers passing out Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand. They'll have a hardback black uh, uh, Bible. They'll get to you. 1 John 3 will be towards the back of the Bible. All right. Uh, while you're turning there, as you can see, I am Chad. It is a privilege to be here. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers. It's actually part of the reason why I'm here this weekend Pastor Jeremy and his wife, Kelly, they just welcomed their fourth child into the world. Little baby, Leah. So Jeremy is a dad four times over. Yes, awesome. Mom and baby are healthy. Uh, And it's an honor for me to be able to just uh, help Jeremy get some much deserved time at home, to love on his wife, love on that little girl, Uh, praying that Leah just grows to love Jesus with all her heart. Uh, Pray that that little girl is just a beast for the kingdom one day. Uh, So excited for them and excited for uh, the the life of the church here. It was about two years ago that my daughter, McLean, she had a really bad asthma attack she has what's called allergy-induced asthma. There are certain allergens that will kick her asthma into high gear and just make her have a hard time breathing. Uh, She starts coughing, she has mucus, she just like gets really jammed up. And it wasn't the first time we had been through it with her. Uh, Even earlier when she was growing up, we took her to uh, Kaiser, the ER. And when I say we, I mean I did, because my wife didn't wanna go, and so I stepped up and took her. And uh, my daughter has no recollection of How severe her breathing was. I mean, she was really having a hard time breathing. No recollection of the nebulizer treatments, the steroids. All my daughter remembers is that Kaiser gave her apple juice. That's all that she recalls. (laughs) This particular instance, she's a little bit older. She had been to the doctors. She now knows what shots are. And so she's terrified of going to the doctor because she thinks she's going to get a shot. So I pull out the apple card or the apple juice card, right? And I'm like, Hey, baby girl, we got to get you there. Let's take you. They might give you some apple juice. She looks at me real real suspicious. She's like, I know what you're doing. That's low. (laughs) I still want that apple juice. I'll go. So we go to the Kaiser. We go to Kaiser, go to the ER. I am pulling her out of the back of my truck. She's coughing so hard at this point that it kicks her gag reflex into gear, which then causes her to vomit All of the mucus that's in her upper airway and all of the semi-digested chicken nuggets and mac and cheese in her stomach, all out onto me. It's 1030 at night. Haven't slept well in two days. I'm tired, frustrated. She throws up onto me and time like stands still. I'm holding my daughter covered in vomit. Her poor little eyes. She's got these beautiful, big blue eyes. They're all red and bloodshot and it's like time freezes. And then in the cutest little voice. She goes, daddy, do you think they'll still give me apple juice, even though I froze up? (laughs) And in that moment, covered in vomit, tired, I was filled with just filled with love and compassion for her. Come on, baby, we got to get you go. We got to get you squared away. And luckily I had to change a shirt. We, We get it all figured out. The reason why I tell you this is not because I'm trying to portray myself as father of the year. In fact, I tell you this because of these, the exact opposite. I'm a sinner. I am sinful. I am a selfish man. There is nothing good in and of me except the redemptive work of Christ. If, though, I'm able to have that kind of love and compassion for my kid, how much more does a perfect heavenly father love us? Like, I was looking at James up here holding little baby Dean. Baby Dean's not contributing anything to him. He's holding him, having to hold him up. Talk to James afterwards. I bet he felt so much love in his heart just looking at his little boy right there. And the reason I bring this up is because I know in my brain, I know the verses. I know it up here in my my brain. I know that God loves me. I know the Bible says the Father loves me. If you could look into my soul, do you know what you'd find? You would find a heart that is frantically still trying to earn his love. You would find a heart that doesn't believe what the brain knows. You'd find a heart that says, yeah, 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 whatever. That's, that's for other people, but you got to earn it. God only loves you if you're of value to him, if you're serving him some way, if you're purposeful. He, he only loves you if you're doing what he asks of you. It's transactional. It's conditional. And the entire Bible is shouting something completely opposite. No, it's not. That's not how he loves you. What are you going to give to a God that's eternal and self-sufficient? He doesn't need anything from us. What are you going to give to a God that's perfect in and of himself? So same way James is just holding his son there. Son's not doing anything, just, just dead weight, just hanging there. But, but the dad looks at his boy and, oh, God, I love you. How much more if we're capable of that? We're sinners if we can feel that, if we are capable of that how much more does a perfect father have that for us? And and so that's what I wanted to do today. I wanted to just dedicate some time to look onto the counsel of God's word and see all the different ways the father loves us in the hopes that we might get it out of our brains and into our souls. That for those who are in Christ, he really loves you. He really does. He doesn't love you if he loves you, period, if you're in Christ. So 1 John 3 is where we're going to start. This will be our launching pad to all the other verses. Uh, The the whole idea behind the sermon came from 1 John 3, because here's what he says. He says, see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So John here goes, look, gaze upon, meditate, just focus your attention on the kind of love the Father has given to us, that he's made us his children. So let's pray and ask the Lord for help, and then we'll do that. Jesus, we need your help. Spirit of God, I pray, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our minds. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Awaken our hearts to the love that you have for us. I I don't know why, God. It's just still so hard for my soul to really trust and really rest that in Christ I have all the love of the Father. There's nothing more to add. But today, as we look at the word, as we see all these different ways, you you practically love us. Help us, God. Would this not just be head knowledge, God. It's not sufficient to just be head knowledge. This has got to get down into our bones. It's got to get into the lowest, deepest, darkest parts of us. And I pray your help with that, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. All right, in your notes, seven different ways. Pick seven because I come from Baptist roots. Baptists love sevens, and we love alliteration, anything that starts with the same letters. We can't help it. It's just how we're brought up. So here's seven ways that the Father loves us. This list is by no means exhaustive. In fact, I think for all of eternity, we're going to be trying to discover and figure out all the ways the Father loves us. But here are seven ways to just kind of prime the pump for us today. Number one, our Father loves us sacrificially sacrificially probably the most important or most famous verse in all of the bible and it's famous for good reason john 3:16 you want to talk about an efficiency of words it doesn't get much more efficient than john 3:16 like almost the entire counsel of god's word bam right there in a verse for god so loved the world that he gave his only son whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life now as well known as this verse is there's a lot happening in the verse that rarely gets talked about So let's tease this out just a touch. It starts here for God. What do we mean when we say the word God? The God of the Bible is Trinitarian, three persons, one essence. That's very confusing. What exactly do I mean? I mean, there's like one DNA of God, like God's stuff with three particular persons that share in that. There's not really a good illustration in, in creation of the Trinity there's, there's stuff that's close, but nothing that's like spot on because the creation is altogether different than the creator. The creation is not the creator. The creator is separate, but I'll, I'll show you one that gets us kind of close to the Trinity. Uh, the, the molecule H2O water H2O, that molecule can exist as a solid, a liquid, or a gas. Now, this breaks down because that that gets you to modalism, which is a fancy theological heresy, but it gets you down the wrong road. In order for that to be perfect, you'd have to have water molecule existing in all three of those states at the same time. That would be more picturesque of the Trinity. I don't know if that's possible scientifically. If you're a science brain, holler at me afterwards. I'd love to know if that's possible. That's kind of picturesque of God. H2O, all three of those same time together. Make sense? Probably not. It's okay. We got to keep going. I don't have time. For God, for God, more specifically, first person of the Trinity, because it says, gave his son, the father, the Trinity, father, son, Holy Spirit, they have perfect fellowship, perfect relationship in and of themselves. God didn't create you and I because he was lonely. He didn't create you and I because he was bored. He had perfect love and community and fellowship, self-sufficiency, in and of himself. For God, the Father, so loved the world. Who's the world? The world is us, humanity. Uh, Humanity, regardless of your skin color, regardless of the language you spoke in your home of origin, regardless of how much money you make or don't make, regardless, every single human on the planet, humanity, for God so loved the world. Why is it impressive that he loved us? It's impressive because you and I have a major problem. There's an anthropology described in the Bible that's radically different than anything you see in our culture. It says humans, you and I are born with a major spiritual problem. We have a sinful nature. This once again is across the board. Doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter the home of origin you grew up in. It doesn't matter any of the separations and walls we put up in our day and age. All of that is gone. Every single human has a sinful nature. This is why obedience to the scriptures is difficult. This is why when God's word weighs on you, you're like, I don't like that. This is why you never have to teach a two-year-old how to disobey. They instinctively know how to do that. Where'd that come from? Watch your two-year-olds. They'll bite people. Like, did they ever see you do that? I hope not. Where did that come from? It's because even though those little kids, they're innocent, beautiful little treasures, there's something in the soul. There's a rebellious, hard-hearted, sinful nature that makes us prone to wickedness and prone to defy God. So God the Father so loved these sinful, rebellious, guilty little humans that he gave his only son. Now, if you, remember, if you memorize that verse in an old translation, there's a word, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten. Yeah, you did memorize it in those old translations, huh? Begotten. It's in the Greek monogonese. It means of the same kind. That's how we know the son is equal to the father. It's of the same kind. God begets God. It's of the same stuff. That same God DNA. The Trinity is, is broken up now at this point. The perfect fellowship, the perfect community that was there. The father sends the son to rescue these guilty, hard hearted little sinners. And, and the only picture the Bible can relay that makes it make sense for us is, is a father sacrificing his son for a guilty party. The, the only way that our feeble language is, is able to communicate that kind of separation, the break in the perfect community of the Trinity, the sending of the son for a guilty party. And the son doesn't go begrudgingly. The son doesn't go resentfully. He's not like, oh, geez, dad's always telling me to clean my room. I gotta go die for people. He, he goes joyfully. He, he goes for the joy said before him, Christ endured the cross. That's Hebrews 12. Because there's perfect community. There's perfect fellowship. The son goes and dies for us. So that whoever would believe in him never perishes, but has eternal life. What does it mean to believe? What does that really mean? Do I just intellectually acknowledge there's some guy named Jesus out there? What does that look like? Belief, the best way I know how to describe it, uh, the, the picture that comes to mind is like someone playing poker and they push all their chips in. It's almost like betting. Like I'm willing to stake everything on this. And so what I mean by that is it's not just intellectual. It's not just I I theoretically agree with this. My soul, my heart takes confidence in in this single fact that by Christ's wounds, I am healed. Because Christ shed his blood on the cross, all of my sin can be forgiven. All of it. Nothing more for me to contribute. nothing Nothing more for me to add. God's not like, hey, I'll forgive your past and present, but then you got to act right from here on out. Otherwise, I'm taking it back. It's not how it works. I'm pushing all my chips in that because Christ bled out on the cross, he has wiped all my sin clean far away as the east is from the west. Yeah, but Chad, I have so much sin going on right now. Chad, I have so much rebellion and so much wickedness going on right now. How could he possibly do that? Don't I have to work for it? Don't I have to earn it? Don't I have to like string together at least a week or two of, of goodness before he'll give it to me? No, no. See, that's the earning mentality. And the Bible's going to slap that idea in the face. The Bible goes, your righteousness are like filthy rags before God. Your righteousness sucks before God. It's offensive. It does nothing to move the needle for God. Christ is what saves us. It's Christ shed blood in his imputed righteousness to us. That's what saves. And that's what John 3 16 is saying, push all your chips in on Jesus. If he can't save me, nothing will save me. For God, the father so loved us, broke up the Trinity and sent his son. But that's not all in your notes, our father gives good gifts not talking about like PlayStations or cars or boats. He, he gives a different kind of gift. I'll show it to you here. This, this passage always makes me laugh because I like to play pranks on my kids and, and I feel like the dad he has in mind in this passage does that. Verse 11 out of Luke 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Hey dad, like you got any sea bass? Boom. Here's a snake. Uh, Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil, see, there's a sinful nature. Jesus is pointing out our sinful nature. If you then you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's the good gift. You and I are evil, but we know how to give gifts that make our kids thrive. How much more does the father, he gives a gift called the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, usually because there's some some weirdos on TV that do some weird things under the guise of the Holy Spirit, and it's not supported by the scriptures. Now, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit does miraculous things. Yes and amen to that. But I'm not sure it's some of the the weird things that we see on TV. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, fully God, fully eternal, co-equal, co-powerful with the Father and Son. And here, this text is saying, when you and I come to belief in Jesus, the Spirit of God is given to us. It takes up residence in our soul. We become a temple. We become a dwelling place for God Almighty. And he starts to rewire and rework the sinful, broken nature. That sinful nature that makes us instinctively hostile, he he starts to straighten that out. And make us now start to crave righteousness. Where we used to resent the things of God and and find it oppressive, he starts to show us how beautiful, how good it is. He starts to show us how freedom is found in submission to God. He starts to show us that obedience isn't meant to crush you. Obedience isn't meant to keep you from having fun. It's actually meant to to show you how to flourish. C.S. Lewis said it great. He said, obedience is God's manual for how the human machine works do life this way. It's for your flourishing. It's for your good. So God isn't up in heaven being like, I want you to be miserable, no fun, no laughter. I want you to be sexually repressed. Only listen to lame Christian music. I want you to never have any good food. I want your life to be terrible. It's not what he's like. He designed pleasure. He designed goodness. He designed awesome music. He designed awesome food, awesome drink. That's all his idea. But he's like, my son, my daughter, let me show you how it works. Life is here. And the spirit is what empowers us to actually live that, to actually practice it. There's all these cool things in the scriptures. The spirit leads us into all truth. The spirit regenerates us. The spirit renews us. The spirit gives us new birth. The spirit gives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things are from the spirit. The spirit is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And if he can resurrect Christ, he can resurrect our lives. This is good news. It means we don't have to do Christianity by our own strength. Number three, our father is attentive to our needs. He knows very closely what's going on in our lives. Love this passage here. This is one of those texts that I go back to all the time. Uh, You saw Matt Roach earlier sliding down on that video. He'll be up here in in the tubs. Matt Roach and I have talked about Matthew six quite a bit. Uh, This is a text him and I, we go back to all the time uh, because I I forget. Here's what it says, therefore I tell you, now watch this, do not be anxious. (laughs) Do you see it? That's in a command form. Don't be anxious. How many commercials are out there right now for anxiety medication? How many articles are being published every single day about how to manage your stress? Five tips on how to manage your stress. Buy this essential oil diffuser and mix lavender and whatever, whatever weird potions that you voodoo people are into. And and it makes you like (laughs) relax and calm down. Jesus goes, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Jesus goes on. He goes, look at the fields, the grass. Look at how beautifully the grass is clothed. California got a grip of rain this year. The fields, like March and April were beautiful, were they not? Just brilliant yellows and purples and oranges all over the place. And Jesus goes, not even Solomon was dressed like that. King Solomon, who brought in 50,000 pounds of gold every year during his reign and rule. The dude's dressed in ancient Versace, ancient Gucci. He's just (laughs) balling out of control. And Jesus is like, yeah, the grass is clothed better. Not even Solomon was dressed like the grass. If God takes care of grass, how much more will he take care of an image bearer? You bear his image. His thumbprints on you. God doesn't know you on a macro distant level. He doesn't know you from like 30,000 feet up. He, He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows what you dream about. He knows what you think about. He knows your fears, your hopes, what you get excited about. He knows what you're passionate about. He knows the music you like, the food that you like. Psalm 139 says, God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you on a cellular level. And Jesus finishes this passage. He, he says, here's what you do. Your father already knows what you need. Ask of him and seek first the kingdom and everything will be given to you. Make your life about Jesus, grow in your walk, know the scriptures better, grow in your obedience, surrender your life more and more. Everything you need will be given if, you, if that's your pursuit. Number four, you're not going to like number four, sorry. Our father lovingly disciplines us. He lovingly disciplines us. He doesn't discipline to crush or to destroy. He disciplines to build. Have you forgotten, Hebrews 12 says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Dude, the Lord must love me a lot. (laughs) Here's what this text is saying. The Lord does not let his children get away with sin forever. He will bust us. He will expose us. He will. Scary. It is not a sign of God's favor. It's not a sign of God's grace. If you get away with sin for your whole life, That's actually reminiscent of Romans 1, where you are turned over to your sin. That's the passive wrath of God. No, a true son gets exposed. A true son is outed. A true son will be corrected, disciplined. It's not pleasant. It's brutal. Anybody that's been disciplined by the Lord knows it's painful. But it yields a harvest of righteousness. Sometimes the Lord is like, listen, I just love you too much. I can't let you stay here. Uh, Back when I was in... In college, I was doing drugs. I was smoking weed and partying and I was just living crazy. Uh, And and I got caught all the time, caught by the parents, caught by police. There may or may not have been an incident uh, in Yuma, Arizona, with the California border patrol. Uh, There may or may not have been that. I don't know. Uh, I got caught all the time. And I remember I was constantly trying to cover my tracks. I always had eye drops. I always had cologne and gum, make sure I didn't smell dank and make sure I didn't get, smell like a a weed store. Like I wanted to make sure I was getting away with it. And then I had these friends who never tried to cover their tracks and they got away with it scot-free. I'm like, why am I always getting busted? I look back on it now and go, oh, the Lord loved me like a son. Son, I, I love you. I can't let you do that. So he disciplines not to crush not to not to break down, to build up. Next in your notes: Our Father reassures us. Romans eight, another great text to just anchor your soul in. Um, here's what it says: "For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to b- fall back into fear, but you have received." the spirit of adoption as sons, that's that third person of the Trinity, God Almighty. And by that spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So I love that the word Abba is used there, that, that's Hebrew for Dada, that's uh, Hebrew. My little daughter, McLean, she has come up with nicknames for everybody in the family. She has nicknames for me, my wife, uh, her two siblings. I don't have time to explain where this came from, but she calls me Dada Rungun. That's what she calls me. Um, that's Abba. That's like the heart behind that. In you, in, in, the, in those who are in Christ, in those who are followers of Jesus, the spirit of almighty God, when the dark nights of the soul come, when God feels distant, when, when it's been dry, does that make sense? When, when your walk has been dry, The Spirit of God reminds the soul. Hey, that's dad. Hey, you got a dad that loves you. Hey, don't forget, you're his son. You're you're his daughter. He's got you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. I know this season is rough. It's for a purpose. My child, my son, my daughter, don't lose heart. Rest. Your father has you. The Spirit whispers that. The Spirit encourages our souls. It reminds our soul. You're a son. You've been adopted into the family. And there's nothing that's going to pull you out of God's hand. Well, Is there a strength out there stronger than God? Is there something out there stronger than God Almighty that can pull you out of his saving hand? If there is, let me know. No, son, daughter. I know it's been hard. I got you. The Spirit whispers that. He reassures us like a good dad does. Sixth in your notes. Our father strengthens us. He strengthens us. Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's a lot of talk in our day and age right now about toxic masculinity. You're hearing this all over the place. And what you're seeing in culture is this push is this pressure from culture to feminize men. Now here's how all good deceptions work. There's elements of toxic masculinity in the culture that truly are toxic. But what I love here about this passage is that God shows what proper masculinity is, what godly masculinity is. It is strength on behalf of someone else. Strength for the good, for the defense, for the help of somebody else. That's masculinity. Masculinity isn't, look how much I can bench and how many beers I can drink. That's not masculinity. The Andrew Tate versions of masculinity that are out there, the red pill versions of masculinity that are out there, they're a junior high cheap imitation. True masculinity is strength under the control of the spirit for the good and benefit of others. That's masculinity. And this text here goes, you're going to be weak. God will be strong for you. You're going to feel like you can't walk anymore. God will be strong for you. Don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be discouraged. The God of the universe is right there with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's got you. He is properly masculine for you. Seventh and final. Our father pursues the wayward this passage here in Matthew, the one that's in Luke 15, uh, they're kind of the heartbeat here at Shelter Cove. You're going to hear us use this phrase, the one, the one quite a bit. And it's where it comes from. It comes from this one and and Luke. Here's what Jesus says. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? Okay. That's crazy. Because you know what's in my heart? What's in my heart, I'm like, hey, bro, if you don't want to be with me, peace, deuces. Like, hey, you don't want to ride? Go, beat it. That's what's in my heart. But the heart of a father here is, wait, wait, wait. I had 100. I'm at 99. Where'd the one go? Right? And some of the sheep are like, it's Bill. He's dumb. He always runs off. He's always getting stuck in the fence. And, and the father goes, y'all stay here. I'm going to get Bill. Watch. 13. And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it. What? Are you kidding me? Stupid Bill, always running off, getting his head stuck in the fence, always. And the father goes, and oh, Bill, I got you back. You know what's in my heart? See Bill with his head stuck in the fence, smack and be like, you idiot, come on, stop running away. That's what's in my heart not a heavenly father. He rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God doesn't want people to perish. It's not in his heart to judge and condemn. That's not what he wants to do. He will because he's just and he's perfect. Make no mistake, he won't be mocked, but he loves to extend mercy. He loves to forgive and capture the wayward. So as we close our time up, there's two groups of dads in here I want to talk to. There's dads that are following Jesus and dads that aren't. And to the dads that aren't, my call to you today is return home. Maybe you're stupid Bill, head always stuck in the fence, always wandering off. You got a father who doesn't stand with his arms crossed, doesn't stand with his brow furrowed, and he's got this look of disappointment on his face, like, you idiot. It's not our father. Our father rejoices. He leaves the 99 and chases after you. That's the heart of our father to save and redeem. So come back to him. Like, are you tired of your sin yet? Maybe you're not. I've been there. I haven't been tired of sin yet, but maybe you're here today and you're tired. Come home. Come home. You won't be met with condemnation. You'll be met with grace, forgiveness. And then to my dads that are following Jesus the pitfalls, the minefield that is waiting for us out in culture is off the charts. There's so many traps. There's so much deception. There's so many uh, tricky things we've got to try and navigate our kids and our family through. Here's the good news. You don't have to do it by your own power. You've been given the spirit of God almighty to lead, go to him, lean on him, renew your reliance on him today. It's like let's just be straight. We're not that smart. And every wife said, amen. We're not that smart. It's okay. You've been given the almighty spirit of God, the eternal, powerful God of the universe. You have access. Renew your reliance on him for the sake of your own walk and for your family. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Jesus, I I pray now that you would sink into our hearts just how much you love us. Please, God, get it out of my head. My head knows it, but my heart has a hard time believing it. Get it out of my head into my soul. Because of Christ, there's, I'm reconciled. There's nothing more to add or contribute. Oh, you got me. I'm going to pray that for my friends here today. And for those that would sit in these seats and go, man, I'm wayward. Please come home. Come home today. Come to a father that rejoices over you. It's simple. It's just a simple prayer of the heart. Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. There's no big flowery words you got to pray. There's no crazy spiritual experience you got to have. You just come to him in humility. And for my dad's out in the grind, trying to do this, trying to walk it out. It's hard out there. Spirit of God, we need you. Renew our dependence on you. Make us depend on you more. Teach us to lean on you, to rely on you more. I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.